Welcome to the Anonymous Podcast. This episode will be a living clean study and commentary. The aim is to provide insight to and context of the material within our book, Living Clean. This is not a meeting of Narcotics Anonymous. However, there will be some similarities in how the study will be conducted. Each study will have the audio recorded and then published to the Anonymous Podcast. The overall goal is to provide a commentary of the text towards reaching those seeking a resource like this. If one person benefits from our efforts, including us, then our participation will be well worth the effort. We'll have the introductions, and then we'll jump into the text. Enjoy. Hi, welcome back, everyone. This is episode seven, Living Clean Study for the Anonymous podcast. We're going to begin on page 17 with passion is a lot. But first, we're going to give our introductions. Brian, can you jump on in and introduce yourself? Hello, everyone. My name is Brian B. I'm an addict. Uh, my clean date is November 18, 2019, and I'm <laughs> Pennsylvania. Thanks, Brian. What's up, Lee? I'm Lee. I'm an addict. Uh, my clean date is August 27, 1987. I live in New Orleans. I attend meetings virtually now because of the pandemic. Glad to be here. Thanks, Lee. What's up, Pop? My name is Paul M. I'm an addict. Uh, my clean date is January the 6th, uh, 1995, and I attend meetings in New Orleans, Louisiana. Thank you. Thanks, Paul. How's it going, Jane? Hey, Jane A. here from Salem, Oregon. Clean date, December 22nd, 1979. Thanks, Jane. What's up, Barb? Barb, I'm from Florida. My clean date is October 4th, 1995, and Open Minds is my home group in New Orleans on Monday nights. Come see us on Zoom. Thanks, Barb. What's up, Jen? My name is Jennifer. I'm an addict. My clean date is November 27th, 1992, and I attend meetings in Sacramento, California. Thanks, Jen. How's it going, Eva? Everybody, Eva P. here. My clean date is June 10th, 2000, and I attend meetings in the Salem, Oregon area. Thanks, Eva. And our guest for tonight, Finn. What's up, Finn? I'm an addict. My name is Finn. My clean date is March 9th, 2020, and I attend meetings in the greater San Jose area in California. Uh, welcome back, Finn. I'm Attic. Name's Douglas. I go clean March 12th, 2000, Southwestern PA. I stay in the Raleigh, North Carolina area now. All right, folks, we're going to go ahead and get started. Episode 7, Living Clean Study for the Anonymous podcast. We're going to begin on page 17 with Passion is a Lot, and Barb is going to facilitate. Take it away, Barb. I'm Barb, an addict, and it's an honor to do this, and um, welcome everybody, and Jane, would you start us off on page 17, passion? Yes, passion is a lot like desperation. It is a motivating, energizing force that can propel us forward, but passion is rarely bestowed on us. It comes from within. The more we draw on our passion, the more of it we have. Making the shift from desperation to passion is a first step issue. Our journey is always just beginning and our capacity and our need for spiritual growth is infinite. The same tools that brought us from the brink of death can continue to bring us miracles beyond measure when we learn to fuel our journey with passion and excitement rather than pain and desperation. There is a transition that happens to each of us in the process of recovery. 
an indefinable moment when we move from desperation to passion, where we had been motivated by the fear of greater pain, we start to see new opportunities for growth in our struggles and become willing to move forward out of hope rather than fear. This may not be our first spiritual awakening, but it is clearly an awakening of the spirit into a new sense of possibility. I don't know about you, but that just makes me excited just reading about it. So yeah, being uh, driven by fear, uh, paralyzed by fear, running from fear, and, uh, and learning for the passion to be the driver instead of the fear. And, uh, and I had somebody explain that to me one time about it. With passion, with excitement, there is that little tinge of fear. But I developed the tools of relying on people in the program and on a God, a higher power, to help me walk through that so that I don't get paralyzed with the fear. And I, uh, I call it a shift, a shift of the mind or the shift of the heart, uh, where that indefinable moment, I move from desperation to passion or where a new idea sets in instead of the old idea, I act on the new idea or the new tool um, and move forward instead of standing back or falling back into um, not fighting against the fear, but using my higher power to walk through the fear. And, uh, and fear is a, a common companion of mine. I, I've had it all my life to one degree or another. Uh, I'm just learning to live with it and I live. And I love the part where it talks about that it's, uh, it's not bestowed on us. Passion comes from within. Uh, and I get excited and full of a lot of passion when I go out on do my H&I stuff. Uh, when I go to the, the jail and I see the eight people, ladies sitting there and I'm talking with them and I see the light go on in just one of their eyes, you know, whether it's, uh, and I can go through 50, 60 girls and, but I'll see the light come on in somebody's eyes and I'll think that's, that's why the fuck I do this over and over and over again. That's why I've got the purpose. So I love these. Thanks. Thanks, Jane. Anybody else? Eva? So this part, right, the first line, passion is a lot like desperation. It's motivating. Energizing force that can propel us forward. Well, I was so desperate. That's what I'm going to blame it on. I was so desperate that I get so passionate that I need to learn to, sometimes to reel it in because I can use passion sometimes to, to speak very loudly, uh, almost yell to, uh, I could be so passionate about a specific thing that I can um, want to bang it over your head until you get it my way. So, um, and it's not, passion is not a bad thing. I love how passionate I am. That's one of my best qualities. It's one of the first and, um, and for a while it was the only um, character asset that I saw in myself was how passionate I was for this program and for the newcomer. Um, so, but I can just as, just as desperate as I got, I can get as passionate. And, um, for me, it's about finding balance in that passion. Um, but it does fuel this journey and, um, and it makes me hopeful for the future of Narcotics Anonymous. And when 
um, the pandemic started before, I mean, uh, I guess Zoom was around for the kids, maybe not. So I didn't even know what Zoom was at first, right? And some passionate people in Narcotics Anonymous went, we're gonna go to Zoom and we're gonna figure this out, right? It took passion to make that happen. I believe that. Just like I believe that any convention that gets put on, it takes passionate people to come month after month and talk about the same crap and then feel like it's never gonna happen. Mm -hmm. What is going on? Nobody's doing it right. Here, let me do it. It's like all of these feelings, right? But when I boil it all down, it's the passion of Narcotics Anonymous and the passion for life that I have because I never had a life before, right? And it's, and it's not just life, it's a free life. I'm free to do whatever I want. And um, passion, sometimes people call it resentment, but passion, I think, starts a new meeting. Like I'm so passionate about how I didn't necessarily love it that way that I'm gonna start this one over here. So um, it's about perspective, right? So, um, and I'm so grateful that it brought me from the brink of death. And, um, and I think that's why it drives me so much today is that every day when I look around and I think, how am I gonna do this? I'm reminded that there was a time when I didn't have any of this to worry about. So um, I'm super passionate about Narcotics Anonymous and sometimes I get a little carried away with that. That's what I'm gonna say, thanks. Thanks, Eva. Anybody else? Brian. Yeah, thanks, Barb. Um, <clears throat> I, I really noticed like the passion come, come alive inside of me um, whenever I wanted to like start sharing my recovery with other people. And like I was really relating to what Jane had to say about like her H&I service commitment because um, something that we I haven't been doing lately, but early on was um, there's a halfway house on the mountain where I live and you have to have a year clean to pick, you know, the patients up and they would always call upon me, uh, you know, to give them a ride. And I just remember when they got in the car, like I was ready, you know, I was ready to carry the message to them, like saying, hey, like you're you're in this house right now, but like you can stay clean whether you're here or you leave there. And like some some of stay clean, some haven't. But like the important thing is like, when I was carrying that message to them, I was staying clean. And now like um, I, I, I wrote earlier when I was reading this over, um, desperation leads to the first step, then the steps lead to passion. And like, that's been my story. Like the more, the more that I get involved with the program, the more my passion grows. Like I wanna give it away. And um, like, I used to be really scared, you know, to make a decision, like to try to move forward or get out of my comfort zone comfort zone but like now that I realize like I have this loving higher power that wants the best for me like I'm, I go into like new situations with excitement now because even though I might struggle like I know that I'm going to come out of it you know a better person like I can be lost you know searching for a way but like it seems like every time I'm lining my will up with with the will of you know my higher power like awesome things happen so I hope I I, I never lose that passion to stay clean a day at a time so uh, thanks. Thanks, Brian. Ben, would you read the next two for us, please? Sure, I'd be glad to. Faith in the process means believing that we are moving in the right direction, even if it's not where we thought we would be going. We take on greater challenges. We stand for principles we never had before. We tend 
to our responsibilities, even when they don't seem too heavy to bear. We learn that our higher power will help us do what we cannot, but will not do for us what we can do for ourselves. It is surprising to find how much we actually can handle. When we stop trying to control things we are powerless over, we learn where our power truly lies and how we can use that to make changes in ourselves and our world. We are a part of something today, but we are not just part of one thing. What we learn about unity and NA helps us to figure out how to be members of our families, members of our communities, members of a team at work or at play. We learn that we are never alone. We are here with one another and for one another. We trust that more and more as our experience grows. We can see that our actions have consequences for us and for the people around us. Denying this is a form of self-obsession. We do matter and we want to consider how we contribute. Um, yes, yeah, really nice. Um, I think, uh, you know, at the very end right there, you know, the where basically I become more aware I become more aware of not just that my actions have consequences for myself, but for other people too. Because when I was in my disease, I always thought I was hurting myself only. Um, you know, I, I was tired of waking up after not having slept all night, maybe put my head down for 30 minutes and then have to get up and go to work the next day at nine in the morning. Um, and I was like, oh, I'm not hurting anybody. But, um, you know, the truth is, Every time I came home and I was loaded and, you know, somebody, my, my family member, maybe my mom is laying there trying to talk to me. I'm stuck on my phone all twacked out all night, you know, and I don't want to turn around and say anything to her, but mm -hmm, uh-huh. Mm -hmm. And she's like, what's going on? I'm like, nothing. And I'm up there all night long, um, you know, and, and that, that relationship between us, you know, we, when I wasn't using before, um, we had a great relationship and then I started using and our relationship got kind of distant, you know, and um, I don't know if that has anything to do with the fact that, that she used when I was little and, and um, you know, that made our relationship, like I never lived with my mom until later on in my life. And, um, you know, when I really, I didn't realize the pain that that caused me until I saw the pain that I gave her when I was sitting there ignoring her right in front of her face because I was too busy twacked out on my phone. Um, you know, today I, I can take a look at like, what, what are my actions doing? Are they, they not just hurting me? Are they hurting other people around me? How is that affecting other people? And not to say that I'm perfect at it either because I make mistakes all the time. Um, even with my partner, sometimes I, I make small mistakes and, um, you know, I have to wait until he calls me out on it for me to realize that, that I upset him. But, you know, that beauty, the beauty of this is that it is a working process and, um, and it, and it never stops. Um, and I'll pass with that. Thank you. Thanks, Ben. Anybody else? Paul? Hi, I'm Paul. Um, uh, um, so this whole chapter is, or this whole section 
uh, is about desperation to passion. And, and Eva was talking about it. Sometimes passion leads us to make mistakes. But here's the deal. I will take a room full of passionate people um, screaming at the top of their lungs about the stupidity that is seems so important at the time over a room full of complacent, apathetic addicts. We had we were talking about passion in my home group last night, and um, you know, love and hate are the same thing. They're passionate responses to a, to something, and that's not the opposite of love. Hate's not the opposite of love. Apathy is the opposite of love. Not caring, and so and and we talk about it in this in this literature the complacency is the is the problem for the addict with clean time not passion and that's you know that's the thing i have to desperation was what fear like i was i just had this fear that i was going to run out of the meeting and jab a needle in my arm so i sat my ass in that chair for the hour or the hour and a half that that meeting was on and i was scared to death and look if you're in that place that's a, not a bad place to be. But if you're like me and maybe the chair's not that important, you know, or I got something to watch on TV or I, this, whatever's going on on, uh, on Reddit uh, during the meeting is much more important. And I start to drift. And that's the problem. And I don't, and I have to, I have to be careful with that. So, you know, uh, uh, Jane got it just right. I have to find things that will ignite the passion. You know, bridge house, whatever it is, the thing that's gonna, you know, that, that service commitment that my sponsor keeps harping on and I go, fuck you, I'm not doing that. I'm not fucking doing it. Don't keep asking me about it. You know what I mean? That kind of thing. I have to find the thing that's gonna keep me engaged. Because listen, all of that stuff is not for the people that you're serving. The stuff, that, that's the self, that's the paradoxes we talk about. My selflessness is selfish. When I am doing service for others, it is to keep me clean, not to get them clean. And I just need to, I need to always look for where the passion is. Because I, if I start, you know, familiarity breeds contempt. And that's the other thing is if I'm going to the same meetings every day, every week, day in and day out. When I first got clean, they talked about asphalt recovery. Get in the car and drive to another meeting where you don't know everybody. And it helped. It did because I didn't know who was banging who in the meeting. It was great. Everybody was profound. It was wonderful. And so I have to find those outlets for passion so that I stay here. Um, but we are part of something today. So that's the thing that the hope shot was in that second one. We learn about unity and it helps us figure out how to be members of our families, teams at work, communities, all of that. We trust and the more as our experience goes, we can see that our actions have consequences for us and for the people around us. I have, my actions have consequences now. And look, consequences aren't always bad. Sometimes the consequences are, are good. I try to leave things better. 
than when I find them. Not always successful with that, but at least it's it's in the thought process as opposed to the tornado that tore through people's lives when I got here. Thanks. Thanks, Paul. Jen? Paul touched on this a little bit, but I wanted to say what we learn about Unity NA helps us to figure out how to be members of our families, members of our communities, or a team, work at play. And what, what I found in doing the work in Narcotics Anonymous is, is that it all around makes me a better person in all of those areas, right? Like I came here, Paul said the tornado, right? I was just a taker. I just, everything was about me. And I spun around like the Tasmanian devil and just wrecked everything. And when I got clean and I got a life and I started having responsibilities and I had a job and now I have kids and all of this stuff, all of the work that I did here allowed me to go out in the real world um, where people don't pat me on the back for having spiritual principles, right? Like nobody says good job for being honest, right? They just expect that I'm going to be honest. But what it allowed me to do was participate in a world that was unfamiliar for me when I got here. Like I did not know how to operate in a, in, in a life where people got up and went to work every day or, you know, um, wh whatever, raised families, whatever they did. And, and the goofiest thing that I've always laughed about myself was like, I became that mom driving a minivan, going to soccer, you know, being the team parent and then being the assistant coach. And I go to the grocery store and I know the checker and we talk and we ask how each other is. And it seems sometimes I laugh at myself, like it's silly, but, but what it's allowed me to do is like, I don't have to duck in the back and pretend that I'm, you know, putting stuff in my pockets that I'm stealing and then running out the door. Like I'm being a part of society. And, and I didn't have, and even in the beginning of being clean, I didn't know how to be a part of society. I mean, I went to the store like six months clean and stole groceries because I didn't have any money. And I thought that's what you did. If you didn't have money, you went to the store and stole them. I mean, it was, you know, just my, my, my disease thinking had not switched yet. And so all of the unity and all of the things and that I've learned of being of service by working steps, by being around people that are participating in, in, in the world around them has given me all of these opportunities to do things that never, ever would have happened for me if I got clean, you know, and, um, and, and, and I'm so grateful that I get to be that mom, that I get to be that employee, that I get to be that person at work where somebody says, I don't know how to do that. You should ask Jennifer. And I'm like, why are you asking me? And it's like, oh, because I actually know how to do that because I participate in my life today. So um, that's it. I'll pass. Thanks. Thanks, Jen. Anybody else? Eva? So what stuck out to me and maybe it's because that's what I needed to read today out of everything here was um, we learned that our higher power will help us do what we cannot but will not do for us what we can do for ourselves. It's surprising to find out how much we can handle, can actually handle. And um, man, I have to remember that. Um, so sometimes I'm like, okay, I keep turning this over to my higher power. Why isn't it working? You know? while I'm sitting here doing nothing, but I have to do the action too, whatever the action is. You know, it's like the doors are open. Why are you standing here? Like jump through and I could see it. And I know it's all based in fear. Like, I don't think I can handle it. I don't think I can do that. 
And um, it isn't actually until I do it that I realize that one, it either wasn't as hard as I thought it was going to be, or two, that I don't, I'm never alone in Narcotics Anonymous. And if it gets hard, I have someplace to go, which is what it talks about in the, sec the second part of that reading. You know, just, I don't know, it just hit me sideways. Like, shoot, it won't do for me what I can do for myself, but I don't want to do anything. I just want you to fix it, higher power, just fix it. And the fact is, is that I still have to do the work, whether it's the steps or, you know, I have to do something most of the time, even if it's just surrender. That's my part. That's all I can do. So, you know, and, and when I first got here, really, that's all I could do. Like, I was like, uh, for the first two years of my recovery till my mother died, which today is her death date. And I had two years, two months and seven days clean. I thought I was never going to get through it. Like, I was new in recovery, so I had to, I had to go to meetings. I had to. I had three kids, 10, 9, and 7. I had a mother with cancer, and I was taking care of her. So I would go to work during the day. I would pick up my kids from daycare. I would come home and take care of my mother, make sure she was fed and clean. I would go to a meeting. I would come back, and I would prepare my mother for bed. And um, But actually, for the first year, I took her to treatments, like, you know, five days a week sometimes, you know, and still took care of kids and still took care of meetings. And I thought I was never going to get through it. Never. And then when she passed away, I was like, well, now what am I supposed to do? That wasn't so bad. <laughs> like, at least I was busy. I don't know. It was like a different feeling, right? Like, I was like, who knew I could handle all that? This chick that was loaded and couldn't even hold a job down. Right, like I did all that and I stayed clean. And who knew? I sure in the hell didn't know. But it tells me right here that do it. So otherwise I don't I don't think I gain anything from it if I don't do any work behind it. So I have to carry my own load, dang it, which is hard sometimes. That's it. Thanks, Eva. Lee, would you read that last paragraph starting with each? Yes, thanks, Barb. <clears throat> Each time we surrender, we find once more that the desperation that drives us to our knees fuels the passion that carries us forward. When hope manifests into reality, our lives change. Our experience affirms what we believe and belief grows into faith. When our faith grows into knowledge, the program that we once struggled to practice has become a part of who we are. We find here what we were looking for all along, connection to others, connection to a higher power, connection to the world around us, and most surprisingly of all, connection to ourselves. And I didn't come to Narcotics Anonymous for any of that. Um, I remember a lot of the initial surrenders and I remember the gift of desperation that drove me to my knees. And earlier, I think it was Eva was sharing, it reminded me when I had around 90 days and I was, I was still real sketchy and still, you know, not all in. Um, and there was a woman here, Linda B. She was sitting in front of me at the clubhouse at a, at a meeting and I wish I could remember what she shared. 
And what happened, that was when it kind of gelled. And I was probably between 90 and 120 days clean. And that's when the desperation switched over to passion. Um, and it's still, it's still very active in my life. Right before I got on here, I had just compiled all the regional data of how many meetings, how many virtual meetings, you know, approximately how many people, how many H&Is to send out to our region. Um, and Paul said something about the selflessness of service. I do service to Narcotics Anonymous primarily because of the debt that, that I owe to Narcotics Anonymous. Um, I was laughing with somebody earlier about we didn't get what we deserve. And, and the gratitude for not being uh, A, dead, B, incarcerated for life, C, in the loony bin, uh, fuels a part, a part of that passion. And the last three words of that paragraph still blows my mind because I never thought I would, I don't even know how to say this, how to put this in book. In our basic text, it says we lack the superlatives to communicate this idea. And that's what I get stuck there so many times because it's in here. It's in me. It's not in my head or blah, blah. it's. <laughs> I found me based on practicing these principles. Once the program took a hold, I found me. And, and I, didn't, I didn't know I was lost. And I didn't know who I was. And I still am in that, that, that evolution. Um, six months from now, something will be different from, from now. And that's the excitement that fuels a part of my passion. So that, that's plenty out of me. Thanks. Barb and addict, and I love that. Um, what you just said, Lee, that's what jumped out at me too, is the connection to ourselves. Connection period. I can remember being my whole life in a room full of people and being alone. You know, I never connected with even my family of origin. I didn't feel that connection, you know. And today um, I feel connected to you guys. Any room I walk into, I'm connected immediately. You know, what a gift. And a higher power. I didn't even think about higher power when I was out there using, you know. So, um, I too, that's one of the greatest things. And to know who I am, you know, I didn't know I came in this program at 40 years old, didn't have a clue who Barb was, what made her tick, you know? And today I know what makes me tick. I know how to outsmart myself, you know? And um, the passion, I was thinking when you were talking about the passion, when I hear people, the language of the heart, when I hear people, like when I first went to Open Minds, I said the courage, you know, it just blew me away. The honesty I was hearing. I never forget that meeting, the honesty I was hearing that night. That's that ignites the passion in me. That's the language of the heart that reaches in and grabs my heart. And the gratitude when I hear somebody new that brings it all back about, you know, just simple things, you know, how grateful they are, you know, and I feel that too. I, but I forget 
So when I hear that, that's what ignites that passion. You guys are the ones that reached in. When I came in, I was dead. You know, I was a shell of a human being. And you reached in and grabbed my heart and revived it with the language of the heart and the honesty. And, that, and, and that's where that little flicker of hope, you know, sparked too. You know, so it always comes back to you guys. You guys are everything I am. I always say that everything I will be, I owe to the program of Narcotics Anonymous and a bunch of junkies, you know. And I'm so grateful. Anybody else got anything? Ben. And thanks, Barbara. Oh my God, this this is a great paragraph, just this paragraph alone. And I related with uh, with Lee earlier, you know, um, none of this is what I came in for. Hell, I, I didn't even think I had a drug problem when I came into the program. Um, you know, I, I was just sitting with a couple of felonies over my head. I'm like, oh, well, the, the, the lawyer suggested that I come to Narcotics Anonymous. So maybe I'll come to Narcotics Anonymous and, uh, you know, just just make the lawyer and the judge happy. And, and I, I, I might be able to get out of this situation. It was all about getting out of the situation. It wasn't about helping myself um, until I came to my first meeting and saw a lot of the the passion and the love in the rooms. And, and that's where I really felt like, um, you know, you know, at first, you know, I'm, I'm like, Oh, I, I'm not like you guys. I never stuck needles in my arms. You know, I didn't use those drugs. Um, what I considered hard drugs. I, I did, I didn't live under a bridge. I paid my bills. Um, you know, I couldn't relate until I started hearing people th talk about the feelings that they felt um that that pain shame and guilt that that they always speak about and that's where i was like oh wow you guys are just like me and that's what spoke to my heart like barbara said that's what spoke to my heart was um when i could finally identify with what was going on when i when i walk into a room of of addicts thinking that i'm not an addict and finally hear something i'm like oh wow i am an addict and then um another thing that sparked my passion was um and and it's part it's the sad part of narcotics anonymous is watching other people go out and die you know i don't want to fucking die i don't want to die and i know that if i do go out i'm going to go back to where i came from and i'm going to pick up worse drugs and then i'm going to overdose so, you know i don't want to take that risk so the passion is also just to keep myself alive um and i'll share this and i'll shut up just last week uh, a good friend of mine who who was a predecessor of mine thought that she could go out one more time ended up living on the streets and then um you know she uh was using and and decided to take a walk across the freeway and got killed you know and that it was sad to hear that today but it sparked my passion and uh, it carried a message uh in all paths thank you Thanks, Finn. Anybody else? Jane? As Phil says, I'll be quick, but I uh, I just want to, you know, sometimes we throw around words a lot around here, and uh, and uh, one of those words is process, and I, and it's they, they speak to it a couple of times in here about faith and the process and stuff, but I just wanted to point out that, well, uh, in, in that last paragraph, it, it, it tells us the process. It says experience leads to the belief and the belief leads to the faith and the faith grows to the knowledge and it becomes the working part of the mind. And I, I just think sometimes um, uh, the best benefit an old fart like me can do once in a while is just look a newcomer dead in the eye and say, it's worth it. It's worth it. Don't give up. It's worth it. 
Thanks. Thanks, Jane. Douglas, you want to start us on why we stay, please? Yeah, thanks, Barb. That's why we stay. What is it that keeps us in NA after the initial desperation eases? Of course, there's a desire to help the newcomer. Our 12-step reminds us that the, this must always come first. But many of us at some point in our recovery have felt that perhaps that was all that was left in the rooms for us. Our commitment to help might have kept us coming back, but some of us were left with the nagging feeling that we hesitated to share. Is this really all there is? Our answer today is a resounding no. In our lives and in the lives of addicts around the world, we can see change not only from the desperate, lonely people we were when we got here, we can see great changes in ourselves and in the way we relate to others from the first time we worked the steps compared to our next pass and our next. Our experience in NA service teaches us to us to interact with others in environments that are sometimes stressful and to remain loving and open even as we stand our ground. We learn when it's important to stand for principles and when it's best to step aside in the name of unity, knowing that a loving God is ultimately in charge. We plan for the future just for today and let go of the outcome, even when we really want it. Living, loving, surviving loss, and celebrating success, we find that the tools of recovery that gave us our lives also help us to live with grace, integrity, and joy. As we practice principles, our understanding grows and deepens. And um, you know, as we were finishing up that last, you know, uh, desperation, the passion, I was thinking like, what? And then, and then leading into why we stay. I mean, I think uh, what's been said just really speaks to my spirit, man. There was an awakening in my spirit that happened when I realized, like, I don't want to return back to the way that I was living just as much as I don't want to lose the life that I have now. And that was just an awakening of my spirit, man. And that's, and that's really me, a friend and I are, are going through the steps together recently. And, and, um, and yesterday or the day before we were, we were shooting our, you know, going over our four step kind of hitting our fifth step with each other. And we start talking about assets, man. And I always struggle with that part, man. I hit like a couple of them, like, are, you know, I'm dependable, you know, I'll show up, you know, whatever, you know, this and that. He said, no, man, you know, you're, you're, you're in, enthusiastic about recovery and I hate when anyone said like tell me I'm no good tell me I'm something you know I'll, I'll absorb that man I'll grab onto it hug it I'll cuddle up with it you know but tell me something good man I don't want anything that you know anything to do with it but I was thinking I was like um I am enthusiastic man about staying clean the day to time and carrying the message and, and it was said it was said just just now it's like I don't know if like for me what I just feel called to do that, man. I really do. I just, I just feel like it's, we, we heard it was a debt. Man, I received that, man. I identify with that. Like in my spirit, I feel like, Hey man, I'm indebted to carry this message. I just am, you know, and, and, uh, and, and my spirit identifies with other people who, who, who share that. It's like a common thing, man. And, and, and folks listening, you can identify people who do that. Sit next to somebody at the, at the restaurant, man, after the meeting. And hear them talking about the service that they're doing, who they're carrying the message, the twelve-step call that they were on, who's sleeping on their couch, who they're giving their money to. That's that responsive spirit, man. You know, and that's that's a big part of why I stay. And and, uh, and Finn, you touched on it too, bro, talking about somebody going out or something like this. And, and you know, where my heart my heart takes that too is like the folk that I've seen who never, man, who 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 never came in. You know, like my sister, right? You know, like we're coming up on six years. My sister got murdered by addiction. Never hit up in a meeting, man. I mean, I tried. You know, there was a couple of times, man, I sent some folk over to get her. But, she, you know, the time between the, 
you know, they could get there and, and from we got off the phone, you know, she was already using and stuff and it just it never materialized. But man, uh, I think that all goes into that all goes into this feeling of debt, man. I know, you know, you know what I'm supposed to be doing. But here's here's a cool thing. Here's a comment I'll make on, on, on this last part, too. Knowing that a loving God is ultimately in charge. I just want to say, like Paul says all the time, and I've even started saying it a lot. Here's the thing, right? Paul, Paul hits you with, here's the thing all the time. Here's the thing. A loving God's ultimately in charge, man. I can make a wrong decision right now. Stay clean and live free, man. I can make two wrong decisions tomorrow. Stay clean and live free, knowing that I have a God that's not condemning me. I condemn myself. God's not condemning me. It's just beautiful, man, when I walk in that. My walking that is beautiful. And the, and the last thing I have it written in my margin right here, as we're talking about, as we practice principles, our understanding grows and deepens. And I have surrender right here. And when I, for me, when I boil surrender down, it's like obedience. You know, that's if, if I'm, if I'm, if I'm being obedient to these three spiritual principles that are the pillars for everything else, am I being honest with what I'm doing? Am I being open to listen to you for me to shut up long enough to listen to you? Am I being willing to do something different, man? You know, and, and, and if I'm if I'm if I'm in that, that's how that's how I know that I'm living a, a surrendered life. So that's been really good, man. That's that's a little piece of uh, you know a why I stay around. So I'll pass with that bar. Thanks, Douglas. Anybody else? Paul. I'm struck by the uh, the end of that where it says. Uh, that uh, we find the tools of recovery that gave us our lives also help us to live with grace, integrity, and joy. Now, I know that I didn't really know even what those words meant when I got here, let alone did I walk into my first meeting for looking for any of that. But it's funny, that's come up. I had a text from my cousin um, and we were like brother and sister. And she said, she used that word grace to refer to me. And um, I don't, you know, like, like, like Douglas was saying, I don't, I, I, the, the assets part's always the hard part. I, I don't make that connection. So I'm, I, when I got it, I was like, what does grace really mean? And I don't know, I'm, you know, I, I looked it up in the dictionary and there was a lot of things you know, and some of it has some religious context, but I kind of want to kind of steer away from that. What does grace mean? And the, and the thing that came up in my mind is humble confidence. That's it's kind of an oxymoron, right? Like, humble confidence. And, um, and that's graceful. You know, I, I work in fine dining and we call soigné service. That's graceful service. And soigner is to care for in French. And that's what we do here. That's the grace that we do. We are soigner. We care for each other. We try to anticipate each other's needs. We, with the therapeutic value of, of one addict helping other is without parallel. The, the second one is integrity. Look, just doing what I say I'm supposed to do was a major shift. I was the guy who said yes to everything just so that you would like me and not do half of it. Yeah, I'll be there. Yeah, 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 I'll be, here, give me your money, I'll be back. Yep, I'll be back. 
Yep, yep, yep. I got it. Yeah, I'll be there. You want me to come to that event? Yeah, I'll be there. The biggest relief was, you know, stop Paul and say either, I'm not sure, I'll have to get back with you, I'll have to check my calendar, all kinds of things to so that with when I say, yes, you can do this, that I absolutely follow through with it. Even when I don't, especially when I don't want to. Yeah, because it's really easy to do shit you want to do, right? Yep, yep, that's easy. That's five pound weight. Big weight, 100 pound weight. Doing shit you don't want to do, right? Like sit in that meeting one more fucking minute. Lift the 100 pound weight. Yeah. And what was the last thing of the, th what was the last thing of the thing? Joy. Not happiness, joy. Joy is like bubbling up, that bubbling up there. Even when it's, when I'm sad, even when my parents died, the, the ability to look back and see my presence there is joyful, not regretful. Joy is not about sadness, it's about, feeling like I did what I was supposed to do. And that's, I, I had none of those feelings when I got here. Everything was wrong. Everything was bad. I was fundamentally broken. That's what it felt like. Thanks. Thanks, Paul. Anybody else? Brian, you wanna read There Is No Limit? Please. Sure. There is no limit to the process. There are no limits to where our recovery can take us, no limits to how much better we can get. We short circuit our recovery when we keep a reservation in our second step by thinking that there are some parts of who we are that cannot be restored. When we accept the responsibility that we can get infinitely better, that there is no end to what recovery has to offer, we begin to understand that spirituality is not just a way out. It is a way of life that will continue to bring us new gifts new possibilities, and new awareness as long as we practice it. If we allow ourselves to be motivated, not by fear of the past, but by, but by hope for the future, we are excited to move forward when life is good as when we are when we are struggling. We have found a new way in to life, to freedom, to passion, to limitless growth. We are no longer trapped in a process driven by our own desperation. Something different happens as we move into recovery, motivated by passion, hope, and excitement. We are released into our own lives. We are freed from the feeling that we must constantly be on guard. We are free to discover the capacity of our own hearts. Where we have been closed down, we have the ability to love and care for others more deeply than we, we had imagined. Wow. And, uh, you know, just to share something like <clears throat> that was kind of tough for me is like, without going into too much detail is like, I, uh, I acted out in a certain way a, a few days ago and, uh, you know, I put myself in a situation where I probably shouldn't have been in, you know, but like recovery has taught me that um, I don't have to keep those things a secret and, and like practicing a spiritual principle of being honest, I've been able to like recognize where I fell short and, and hopefully I won't make that same mistake again. And I think that's where the growth comes because like whenever I was using an addiction, like everything was a secret. I had to lie to cover up lies, you know, but recovery has taught me like if I want to grow and I want to move forward, 
like honesty is going to have to be something that I practice all the time. And like, I know that there's, you know, a lot of things that I, that I still need to work on, you know, but there's hope, you know, as long as I do the right thing. Um, and I, I don't feel like I'm trapped by my past any longer, you know, um, it's easy to fall into that, um, that thinking like, you know, well, I'm an addict, so I'm always going to be an addict. There's no hope, but like, I just see it in the lives of other people. Like there is hope, you know, um, we do recover, like it talks about. And, um, you know, recovery has brought a lot of gifts to my life today. And I, I wouldn't trade this way of life for anything. Um, I like how Douglas touched on it. Like my life is too good today to go back to the old life. So I, that's why I continue to do what it takes to get a day clean. So thanks. Thanks, Brian. Anybody else? Douglas? Thanks, Bart. Hey, folks, I want to I point this out at the bottom of page 19. We short-circuit our recovery when we keep a reservation in our second step. All right, so we see that. So that's that, you know, can I be restored to sanity? Is there this higher power that can architect that, right? So by thinking there's some parts of who we are that cannot be restored. And that's my sex life, man. It's always like, it's either food, sex, or money, right? And it's always, you know, it's my sex life with this one. I just think, and, it, and, and what I have written down here is uh, situational agnosticism. That's exactly what it is, man. Situational agnosticism. Look, HP, you got this area. HP, you got this area. HP, you got this area. You know, whatever that is. But not my sex life, because I know you're not going to let me have enough. And I know it's not going to be the right kind. You know what I mean? So let me let me control this. Let me control this piece of it, you know, and uh, and that's a good way to, to explain it. It's like I short circuit, man. I really do. Like like uh, um, I had a conversation not too long ago down in New Orleans. I was on Paul's you know, chair right there and he's sitting on the couch that he's sitting in now. I can see it. We're talking about this same thing. It's like, what's on the other side, man? What's on the other side of it? What what what, what about having. What about having a love and higher power as part of it? My, like my, right here, right here, I go, ugh. When I think about inviting the loving God into, into, into my sex life, man, it's, there's not going to be enough of it. It's not going to be the right kind, man. Situational agnosticism. You know, that's, that's what my diagnosis is with that piece. I'm going to pass. Thanks, Douglas Lee. Thanks, Barb. Um, we begin to understand that spirituality is not just a way out. It is a way of life that will continue to bring us new gifts, new possibilities, and new awareness as long as we, it comes to cold water, practice it. At the beginning, it says there is no limit to the process. I hear people talking about the glasses half full. Oh, my glasses half empty. There is no glass. When I truly embrace this 12-step process or or Moreover, when it embraced me, I have to go matrix on you. There is no spoon. I tell people all the time, if somebody tells you there's a limit to what you can accomplish, have them call me. I'll tell them they're full of you know what, because there aren't any limits. <laughs> this is the one, and, and it ties into that second step reservation. There's no limit to how much better we can get. Yet, I will want to hold on, you know, like I just did some step work and, oh, wait, I have two character defects. I had two pages when I got clean. 
because I haven't done it. I've done the work and then the removal happens and I don't notice it. And it used to be really, really weird. And I'll have to take it back all the way to the beginning where if the, the cashier gave me too much change, I couldn't tell her, I would just have to hold my hand out. And you know, I'm holding up the line at a convenience store because I can't say to her, hey, you've given me too much change. That transition to being able to say, hey, you gave me too much change. That blossoms into this place. And, and in my life and in my recovery, there is no glass. Throw the, throw the effing glass out. Get rid of it. The glass is the limitation I placed on myself. And today, thanks to this process, I don't, I don't have those limitations. Thanks, Barb. Thanks, Lee. Anybody else? Jen? There's a couple sentences that grab me and um, it's, we are no longer trapped in a process driven by our desperation. And, and I have found, you know, before I got clean and even after I've gotten clean where I feel that desperation again, and I feel trapped. And, um, and, and, and when I go down to the bottom of the paragraph at the end, where it says we are free to discover the capacity of our own hearts, where we've been closed down, we have the ability to love and care for others deeply. And, and I, I learned that by others loving me and caring for me deeply, even when I was trapped. And, um, and all of that, when, the desperation that I felt was just behind my choices, right? And <clears throat> what I've been able to do since then, um, since I had all of those people you know, in Narcotics Anonymous that loved me and showed me that I was worthy and worthwhile, I've been able to turn that around and do that for others. Um, and, and I'd like to say, you know, when I read this, I'm like, we're talking about addiction, but you know, my, my, the bondage of, you know, what I trap myself in has happened several times in my recovery where I don't know where to go. I don't know what to do. I don't feel like there's a way out of whatever situation that I'm in. And then all of a sudden, somebody says it's going to be okay, or it's already going to be okay, or it's already okay, or we're right here, you know, and you just let us know what you need. And that is the part of the process and recovery that has given me the freedom um, today that I have that I didn't have a year ago, you know, um, and I didn't, you know, and in 10 years, I didn't have that either. And I had the same situation, you know, not same situation, but the same, I was holding myself back. And it, what it reminds me is, is that I'm an addict. Uh, I still have to do the work. It doesn't matter how long I've been clean. I can uh, coil back into a corner and decide that you all are liars and this doesn't work anymore. Um, I can do all of that, or I can accept the love freely. I can give the love back and I can pass it on and continue to recover. Um, and today I'm in a place of freedom um, where <clears throat> I want to give and receive that love. I want to open up my heart. I don't want to be cold. I don't want to be a taker, you know, um, or a consumer as Doug calls it, you know what I mean? I want to, I want to be of service and I want 
to do the best that I can do for myself first. And then all of that kind of ripple, the ripple effect in my life will happen. Um, and it's not happening fast enough right now. Um, and I wish that uh, that ripple effect was pushing out farther. Um, but you know, it's a process for me. And, um, and that process, and I was just reminded when I was reading this, um, is going to happen um, as long as I stay connected um, to my higher power. So thanks. I'll pass. Thanks, Jen. Anybody else? We got about four minutes, Eva. Thank you, Barb. So this part right here, it says we're released into our own lives. We are freed from the feeling we must constantly be on guard. And I can remember that. Well, I don't remember the exact time it was, but I remember looking around and thinking, I don't have my back to the wall today. Like I'm in the, I'm part of the circle and I'm not scared. Like, this is crazy. Like, I'm not like, every time somebody comes and says hi to me, it's like, nope, I ain't got nothing you want. Like, I'm on guard, you know? And, um, and I'm released into my own life. Like, I finally am not a prisoner of myself. And that's, you know, that's really what, you know, and it's, I'm not saying it's my fault because of, you know, all of the things that brought me to recovery. I, you know, had to be on guard. I had to have armor when I was out there. That was how I stayed alive, right? That's how we all stayed alive was having a little bit of armor on us, constantly on guard for somebody to screw us over or treat us bad or maybe we would treat ourselves bad and I had to be on guard for that too when I first got here but finally through the work of Narcotics Anonymous finally through being loved like Jennifer said by others like um and shown that not everybody is out to hurt me like I was taught out there like don't trust nobody blah 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 you know I got to actually start having a life and and what that did was it allowed me to expand my horizons a lot. Like I wasn't, I never flew on a plane until I was in recovery. And then I never like went, you know, without a dude until I was in recovery. And, and I can't say that I did that for very long. So don't act like I did. Cause it was like nine, I was trying to go for a year, but it was like nine months. Okay. That's making an exaggeration. It was like seven and a half months. And then I met my husband now and but who's counting? <laughs> Doesn't matter. I did it all by myself for seven whole months, don't you know? But I was freed. <laughs> Listen, I was freed and, um, you know, to have a sense of humor. Like I used to be afraid to joke around with people because I was, I was afraid. I was on guard that they wouldn't get it and that I would look like a fool. And now, well, I just don't care because whatever, either you, you know, either I'm your cup of tea or I'm not. Like, Either you like it spicy or you don't. <laughs> How is, right? I'm a little spicy girl. So, um, and I really feel like, you know, this is why I stay. Like, I don't have to be on guard. Like, I was released into my own life. The possibilities are endless. All these things. Like, I have a life today where I don't have to be afraid. Uh, and that includes of my own self. So, you know, I'm just going to stay over here being a little spicy. I'm proud of my seven and a half months. Okay. That's it. Thanks, Eva. 
Thanks for asking me to facilitate, Douglas. I learned early in recovery, if you don't feel a part of, you know, chair a meeting, get involved. And the same for HP. HP doesn't turn away from me. I turn away from HP. So thank you for the honor of doing this. I love all you guys. And I, and thanks everybody that's listening to us. Thank you for walking with us on this journey. Please reflect on what was discussed and apply it to your life. Share this resource with anyone you feel led to do so.